Tonight we're starting a new series on spiritual warfare. And I've got good news and bad news tonight. The good news is I barely have one page of notes. I mean, that's the good news for all of you. The bad news, of course, is that doesn't mean anything at all. So uh, you know that joke. You've heard it many times. And you know that it's true. Uh, but if you would, open with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is going to serve for us as our theme verse for this series. And it is, it is so vitally important and really central to the uh, concept of, of spiritual warfare. I want to look at the first six verses tonight of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 1 says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For we do not walk. For, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that as we spend time uh, this evening and, and over this summer series looking at this theme of spiritual warfare, Lord, that you would equip us uh, to be warriors for you in your kingdom, that you would show us how to fight and when to fight and where to fight and what to fight with, and that you would train us well, that we would be effective in the fight that you are calling us into. We thank you for your power and your spirit, which enable us to wage the good warfare that you've called us to wage. We cannot do anything in our own strength. You taught us without you, we can do nothing. Lord, to operate in the flesh would be a fool's errand. We are so weak in our flesh if this was a physical battle, the battle would already be over. But this is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. And that you would help us. And Lord, we thank you that you have won the battle. That you have defeated the decisive blow to the enemy. That he is a defeated foe. And that we do not fight for victory, but that we fight from victory. 
We thank you for the victory that we have, the guaranteed victory that we have through you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, Tonight is going to serve really as an introduction to the concept of spiritual warfare. We're going to ease into it a little bit. We're not just going to do a cannonball into the deep end of the pool. Although I know some of you are chomping at the bit for that. You're ready to, like William Wallace, just go charging the enemy. I know that for some of us, we have maybe never even heard that there is such a thing as spiritual warfare. And so tonight I just want to give you a, a, just a, a brief, if you will, introduction to the concept. And then as we move through the weeks, we'll unpack it more and more and more. If I can just give you a broad series outline, we're going to spend a couple of weeks here in this 2 Corinthians 10 passage because it really is foundational. Then after that, I want to talk on, on prayer and equip you on praying in the name of Jesus. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. And praying in the name of Christ is uh, one of the most important weapons that we have in spiritual warfare. And then after that, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll spend a week each looking at the different pieces of the armor of God that we read about. In Ephesians chapter 6 and, and what it means to, to wear that, if you will, uh, and how to operate in those, the, that, that equipment that God has given us to fight with. So that's, that's a broad series outline. It'll probably uh, take us through the end of the summer. And again, I'm just very encouraged by all of you who are out tonight, and, and I hope that you'll stick with us. For, for the rest of the series, because I, 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 I trust and believe that there's going to be something every week that is going to equip you in our fight. Uh, tonight I have three points for us, and I'll give them to you right up front, and then we'll walk through some scriptures together. Uh, point number one is simply that there is a battle. There is a battle. You've you got to be aware of that. That's point number one. Point number two is I'm going to answer the question of who it is that we're fighting, who is our enemy, because if we don't fight the right enemy, we'll be fighting the wrong battle. And number three, I'm going to encourage us and exhort us to get in the fight. So that's where we're going tonight. And so point number one, there is a battle. It might be surprising to you to find out just how often the New Testament uses battle and warfare language. It's not just some sort of, you know, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and that's it. It's actually all over the New Testament. And so I want to make the case that there is a battle and a spiritual battle that we are to be engaged in, By just doing a quick survey, looking through some of these texts here tonight, I'm not going to take time to preach on all of them, but I do do just want to read them over us tonight to to just hear how often in the way that this language is used in the New Testament. So I hope you have your Bibles ready. Uh, Keep a little finger here in 2 Corinthians 10 because we're going to come back to this. 
We're just going to do a, a, a brief New Testament survey here looking at some of these different passages. The first is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. So just flip back in your Bible a couple of pages. The good news is I've arranged these from this point on in order. So we'll only be going this direction. But 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 32. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 32. Paul talking about when he went to Ephesus and preached the gospel there. Here he is in the context, he's talking about the resurrection and the hope that we have and the reward that we will have in uh, the kingdom of God in eternity. But in verse 32, again, he's talking to people who don't believe in the resurrection. And so he's trying to make a case for the resurrection. He is making a case for the resurrection at the end of time. Verse 32, he says, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will die. Do not be deceived, he says. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right. And do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. The Apostle Paul at this point in 1 Corinthians has pulled off all the gloves and he's just, he's going for it. But notice here he says that he fought at Ephesus, that his ministry at Ephesus, how does he describe it? When he went there and he preached the gospel there and he planted a church there in Ephesus, he he said it was a fight. That his preaching was a fight. His preaching was a battle. And notice the, that who he says he fought with. Beasts. He, he calls his opponents. The, the, those that oppose the proclamation of the gospel. Beast-like in their character. So here the, the Apostle Paul is saying, I, I fought at Ephesus. I fought for the gospel. I engaged in a battle with these beasts. And he says, I did it because I believe there's going to be a reward one day. So so he's fighting knowing that that the battles that he fights are laying up for himself treasure in heaven, an eternal reward. And he says, if there's not a reward, if the dead are not going to be raised, if, if it's just this life and that's it, he says, and here he quotes from uh, the, the sort of the philosophical idea of his day. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Look, let's just eat, drink, and be merry. If there's no future, if there's no resurrection, if there's no eternity, if there's nothing more than this life, let, let's just eat, drink, and be merry. And that's the way that a lot of people live because they have no vision of eternity. Amen? But he says, don't be like that. Don't be deceived. Wake up from your drunken stupor, he says. All of this he frames in the language of a fight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Flip over a couple pages in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5. Again, he's recounting to them uh, uh, his, some of his missionary journeys and, and his 
going out and planting churches. Of course, you can read all about that. You can trace those journeys as you read and study the book of Acts. But Paul writing again, he says, verse 575, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting, fighting, without and fear within. That, that, that on the outside, that, that even the opposition of, of the, towards the gospel, therefore directed at Paul, was manifesting in a physical fight, fighting without, he says. Fighting on the outside. And, and with fear within. But he says in verse 6, I love this, but God. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So again, this fight that he's engaged in as he goes on these missionary journeys... Look at Colossians, the book of Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. We're we're just taking this survey. I, I want you to understand that there is a battle for the believer. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. Let's start in verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. That no one takes you captive. That's, That's battle language. That's war language. Taking captives. That's not something we do in our day-to-day life. Anybody take any captives today? No, he, he's, he's saying that this is a fight, that this is a battle. And, and he says, don't become a prisoner of war. Don't let the enemy take you captive. See to it that no one takes you captive. And notice here, and we'll spend more time on this next week, Takes you captive by what? By philosophy. And empty deceit. According to human tradition. According to the elemental spirits or elementary principles of the world. And not according to Christ. Don't let people take you captive in your mind and in your thoughts according to the elementary principles of this world, according to the philosophies and and the reasonings and the godless ideologies of the world. Don't let people take you captive in your thoughts. Again, this battle language... Flip over with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. A couple pages over in your Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Looking at verse 18. 1 Timothy 1, 18.
This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom he names them, calls them out by name, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. There's a fight. There's a battle. Alexander and Hymenaeus fell as casualties in this battle. He urges Timothy, this charge, he says, this urgent message that you would wage the good warfare by the prophetic word that you receive. To fight. To wage battle. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 at the end of this book. 1 Timothy 6, 12. In case, in case it hasn't been clear enough. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy, my child in the faith, fight the good fight of faith. There is a battle to fight. There is a battle to fight for the believer. We have a battle to fight, and it is a good fight, a good fight, a just cause, a noble warfare, something worth fighting for, something worth going to battle over, something worth sacrificing for. He calls it the good fight of faith. I don't know if you ever feel like this, but at times in my life, it has been a battle at times to keep the faith, to fight for the faith, to fight the good fight of faith. It is a good fight. It is a noble fight. It is a just fight. It is a worthy cause, the fight of faith that we are called into as Christians. A few more tonight. 2 Timothy, just a couple more pages forward in your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. tells Timothy to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then he tells him what this looks like. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. That, that we would live our lives 
with, with this singular mindset of living for the glory of Christ, of living for the kingdom of God, of, of, of bringing everything, as we talked about this morning, under the lordship of Christ, the fighting, the good fight of faith, that we would say no to entanglements. That, that we would say no to things that aren't sinful, they're, they're not wicked, they're not evil, but they just don't advance the fight. They just don't advance the cause. They, they just are worthless. They're, you know, we, we, there used to be a TV show called Trivial Pursuit. I, I never saw that TV show. I don't know anything about it. I just know the name. But that we would, we would forsake trivial pursuits. The things that are just worthless. Things that just don't matter. Things that have no eternal value. That we would have this soldier mindset. I'm not going to entangle myself in things that will take me out of the fight. That will take me out of the battle. That, that will cause me to not live with the mentality of a soldier. He, he says to share in suffering as a soldier of Christ Jesus. That, that means that there will be times where I have to say no to things that my flesh would enjoy doing. Thing, I'm not even talking about sinful things. You, you guys know that we, we should put sin to death. That, that's, I'm preaching to the choir here tonight. I'm not talk, this is not talking about sinful things. This, this is talking about things that just take our, our eyes off of Christ. Things that are just distractions. Things that have no eternal value. Now, I'm, I'm, don't, again, I have to say this a lot. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we can't enjoy life. I'm not saying that we can't enjoy the blessings of God. I'm not saying that if we ever watch a TV show or we ever watch a ball game that, you know, we've, we're waving the white flag in the kingdom of God and we've surrendered to the devil. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is if you are entangled in those things, if, if it's to the point where that's all you're thinking about, and that's what you're living for, there needs to be an adjustment. There needs to be a recalibration. And let me, let, me just, let me just be practical with you tonight. I have found in my life that I have a hard time making small adjustments. I, I just, I have a hard time doing it. It's hard for me. If, if I am... 20% too much into something, it's hard for me to dial it back 21%. It's just, it's very difficult. So I've tried that many times and failed horribly. So for me, this practical advice I'm sharing with you, maybe it's different for you, but for me, to recalibrate, I have to go cold turkey. I have to cut things out. I, I have to go for a season where I say, I'm just going to lay this aside because it's become too dominant in my life. And so for a season, whatever that might be, a week, a month, three years, whatever it might be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set that aside until I can gain the strength where I'm not drawn to that constantly. And then if I want to add part of that back to my life, I can do that in a measured way. That's, that's how I have to do it. 
you're probably much more mature than me, much more spiritually strong than me. You can just dial things up and down 1%, 2%, no problem. That's just, that's just me, okay? I, I have to, if, if something's becoming too dominant in my life, you know, whatever it is, it, it, and again, not things that are inherently sinful, but that entangle us in what he calls here civilian pursuits. That's stuff that's not pertaining to fighting the good fight of faith in the kingdom of God. Just distractions. I have found that for me, I, I have to, I call it a fast. I go on a fast. I'm going to fast that. I'm going to set it aside. And I'm going to take that time and I'm going to devote it to the Lord. I'm going to devote it to prayer, to worship, to the word, to, you know, being with my kids, to encouraging others, whatever. I'm going to put it towards kingdom activity. Am I being too practical? I don't know, but that's just me. Where are we at here? Okay, um, we're in 2 Timothy. Let, let, two more. 2 Timothy chapter 4. So let's not get entangled, he says, in, in civilian pursuits so that we can be good soldiers for Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. This is the Apostle Paul's testimony. Again, he's, Paul here is writing from prison in Rome. He's likely soon going to be executed as a martyr for his faith in Christ under Nero. This is the last letter that we have from Paul writing to Timothy, his spiritual son. And he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Of all the things that you could say at the end, when that time comes, I can't think of something better that you could say than these words. I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I can't think of better words that you, anyone could say. But for us to be on that day, when we, when, whenever that day comes for us, and it's coming for all of us, right? For us to be able to say that on that day, you know what we have to do on this day? Fight. Fight the good fight. Exactly. We, we got to get in the fight. To be able to say that we fought the good fight and that we finished our race and that we kept the faith, we better be fighting now. We better be running the race now. We, we better be engaging in the faith now. One more, First Peter. Those were all Pauline passages. We'll look at one from Peter here. First Peter chapter 2.
1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. What a statement. That, that our own desires in the flesh are waging a battle against our very souls. And so he, he urges them to abstain from, from giving in to the, the sinful desires, the, what, what the word of God would call sinful passions, the passions of the flesh. At the time, don't they always seem so friendly? So alluring, the, the, the temptations, so enticing. But Peter unmasks those temptations for us. He says they're our enemies and they are waging war against our soul. So have I convinced you of point one that there is a battle? That there is a spiritual battle that is raging around us. There is a fight. There is a battle. I haven't even gotten into the book of Revelation. The whole thing is a cosmic battle. I mean, it is warfare. It is swords. It is dragons. It is Jesus on a white horse. It is battle, battle, battle. We are in a fight. There is a battle. That's point number one. Point number two, who is our enemy? Come on. Satan is our enemy. Let's look at Ephesians 6 quickly. You don't need a lot of convincing on this, but I just want to show you that it's the word of God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power or the strength of his might. Again, we don't fight in our own strength. It's, it's his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's other people. But against the rulers, against the authorities. What rulers and authorities? Here he tells us the next verse. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's who our enemy is. That's the battle that we're fighting. It is spiritual. It is against the devil. It is against the devil and his demons. That's what's going on in our culture. Is a demonic attack of the enemy. It is 100% demonic. If, if you sit there just with your head spinning saying, how, how did this happen so quickly? How, how is it that so, with, with such speed and efficiency, no one can tell the difference between men and women anymore? It's because it is demonically empowered. It's demonic. Spiritual forces. And this is who we fight with. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. 
but against these cosmic powers, these authorities, these rulers over the present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is who we are doing battle with. And so because our weapons are not carnal, they're not fleshly, they're not earthly, hear this, and because our enemy is the devil, not people, we do not take up physical weapons to attack people. That's not what Christians do. Amen. God's kingdom is not advanced through military might. That's an error that's been made in the history of the church. Conversion by the sword. And it's not one that we want to repeat. Amen? Jesus even said this when he was talking to Pilate. You'll recall, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. His kingdom is in the world. And it's our job to advance his kingdom through spiritual warfare. But his kingdom is not advanced through natural means. His kingdom is not advanced through physical weapons. His kingdom is not advanced through us arming ourselves physically and going and fighting in physical battles. Now I'll make a parenthesis here. There is a case to be made for defending and physically defending private property, which I believe we have the right to do. Which leads us into another subcategory of the American War for Independence. But I'm not going to get into a political theory of Christian war theory tonight. That's not what this is about. We can save that for another time. Christians don't, don't riot. That's not what we do. We don't riot. We, we don't lead armed insurrections. We, we don't overthrow governments. No, we overthrow governments by conversion. Through the gospel proclamation. The weapon we have is the sword of the spirit. To proclaim the word of God. We, we do win battles, and, and we do uh, overthrow our enemies, but not through physical warfare. It's through the proclamation of the gospel, because our enemy is not people. Our enemy is not people. So our enemy, again, is not the, the drag queen doing the you know, the reading for the kids at the library. He's not our enemy. The, the, our enemy is not the, you know, the... I'm going to get in trouble. The pink-haired communist elementary school teacher. That, she's not our enemy. In fact, the Bible says that they have been captured by the enemy to do his will. What they need is Liberation. They need a freedom fighter to go and to preach the good news to those who are captive so that they might be set free by Christ. But if, if we view them as a physical enemy, the, the battle's already over. The, the devil's already won. And, and so we have to be sharp 
in, in recognizing that though they may be, be used as a tool of the enemy and they may be used by the enemy, they are not the enemy. We have one enemy. It's the devil and his demons. Period. Our, our enemy is not Nancy Pelosi. Our enemy is not Chuck Schumer. Our enemy is not Ted Cruz. The devil is the enemy. And he has captured those to do his bidding. And we have to recognize that. We have to understand that. Or, or we will be suckered into fighting battles that we should not be fighting. And when we fight battles that we shouldn't fight, we've already lost. We've already lost the battle. So that's the enemy. And again, let me remind you that the enemy will even use our own flesh, as, as Peter said, to wage war against our soul. So, so we have to recognize that the enemy's work in our own life so that we might put sin to death in our own life so that the enemy's work in our own life wouldn't be victorious. Amen? So, so not only do we use the, the weapons that God's given us to proclaim and advance his kingdom out there, which we should do, we must also use the weapons on ourselves. Amen? To sanctify ourselves and to walk in holiness and righteousness and purity. The great English Puritan John Owen said this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. So there is a battle to fight and it's a good battle and it's a noble battle and it's a worthy battle and we have a real enemy. We can't see the enemy with our eyes. We can see the enemy manifest but, but we have to be discerning enough. We have to be sharp enough to recognize the enemy and know how to attack him. That's what we're going to get into next week. That's how I get you to come back, okay? <laughs> but number three tonight in closing, I want to urge you, like Paul urged Timothy, get in the fight. Fight the good fight of faith. He also urged the Philippians to do this as well. We were just in Ephesians 6. If you'll just look over on the other page of your Bible, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, 29. These are not, this, is, this, this whole message has been a message that has none of the coffee mug verses okay it's just the, the, you'll never see this printed on a bumper sticker or a coffee mug Philippians 1:29. for it has been granted to you that word granted is the same word we would use for grace it's the grace of God in our lives granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him how many of you are glad that that faith in Christ has been granted to you Let's see if you'll say amen to the next one. Not only that you should believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Amen. amen. There we go. Verse 30. Engage. Engage in what? In the same conflict that you saw I had. That's the Apostle Paul speaking. And now hear still that I have. 
He urges the Philippian church. Again, this isn't written to missionaries. This isn't written to pastor, pastors. This is written to the saints, to the believers of the Philippian church. You, you read about the Philippian church in the book of Acts. It's the slave girl that was set free from, from demonic oppression. It's Lydia, the businesswoman. It's the, the jailer that had thrown Paul and, and Silas into the inner dungeon. That's the core group of how that church started and their families. These are just everyday people. But he writes to them and says, It's been granted to you that you would have faith in Christ. Amen. It's also been granted to us that we would suffer in this life for his sake and that we should engage. We should enter into the same kind of warfare, the same kind of battles, the same kind of conflict that Paul modeled for them. That the same kind of conflict that got Paul thrown in jail in Philippi that they all saw and witnessed, the same kind of spiritual battles and conflict that got him thrown into jail and now he's in prison in Rome. He says, get in those battles that you saw that I had and now hear that I have. We are to engage in spiritual warfare. We are to engage in this conflict. There is a fight. And again, the fight is not with one another. The fight is not with flesh and blood. But there is a fight to fight against the devil. A fight for our souls, a fight for our faith, a fight for our families, a fight for our church, a fight for our community, a fight for our city, a fight for our nation. There is a fight to engage in. And we got to get in the fight. Amen? And next week we're going to really dive into what that starts to look like practically. I would encourage you to read over this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 again. That is going to be our theme verse. And even begin to meditate on that this week. And I believe the Lord will even show you ways this week for you to engage in the fight. But, but part of what we are talked about tonight just by way of practical application is looking at things in our lives that are entangling us that don't befit a soldier of Christ and things that we may need to set aside, not because they're sinful, but because they're weights. They're just holding us back. So that we might therefore devote more of our heart, more of our life, more of our soul to engaging in the fight. that we might engage, that we might spend more time on our knees in prayer. I talked about that this morning. I would encourage you, pray. We have a God who hears and answers our prayers. The devil does not want you to pray. He'll do anything he can to stop you from praying. The fact that it's so hard to pray should, should just tell you the importance of prayer. 
It is a battle just to get on our knees. It's a battle just to keep our mind from wandering off to six million places. But it's a battle worth fighting because we serve a God who hears and answers our prayers. And historically in, I said it this morning, I want to say it again. Historically in dark times, God's people have turned to prayer. Prayer is a mighty weapon that we need to use more in our fight. So let, let us lay aside some things. Let us disentangle ourselves from, from things that have no value for the kingdom so that we might devote more time to prayer. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that instructs us. Lord, you write in your word, your revelation to us, that you do not want us to be ignorant of the devil's devices. And so, Lord, in your grace, you have shown us that we are engaged in a battle. We do not war against people. Lord, you've called us to love people. Lord, sometimes that might be half the fight. It's just keeping our hearts right when the world would try and turn our hearts against each other that you call us to love our neighbor as ourself. Lord, show us how, how we can win the world with love. The world wants to promote their vision of love because we all want to be loved. But you have shown us and you have loved us with a perfect love. Help us, God, to put that love on display for the world that they might get a true vision, a, a true picture for, of that for which they long so desperately. Lord, that you would help us as we go out this week to fight the good fight of faith, to engage in that battle. Lord, that we would not be taken captive by the empty philosophies of the world, but that we would stand for the truth of your word, that we would do so in kindness and gentleness and respect and in love. Lord, help us to be faithful in this time. God, we pray for an outpouring of your spirit all across our land. An outpouring of your spirit. God, pour out your spirit. We need you to move. Desperately, we need you to move. God, our hope is not in human, humankind, mankind. Our hope is not in the political process. What a fool's errand. Our hope is in you. God, we pray that you would turn our hearts back to you. Our hearts that are so easily entangled, so, so easily beset, so easily weighed down with so many things that are, have no value, have no eternal value. God, turn the hearts of this nation back to you. Lord, we pray for our, our, our leaders. Your word tells us to pray for our leaders. So, Lord, we lift up to you tonight our president. God, we ask that you would move in his life. 
Move in President Biden's life. Lord, touch his heart. Reveal to him the truth. Speak to him. Lord, put, put people around him that would, would, would lead him in down a righteous path. Would lead him in the paths of righteousness. Lord, he, he professes to be a believer, but he, he doesn't live it out in any way that we, that we could see. But, but Lord, that, that what he knows of the gospel, that it would be fruitful in his life. That you would, you would turn his heart towards, towards you and that he would turn his heart towards, towards justice, towards righteousness, towards holiness. For our vice president, God, for Kamala Harris, that you would move in her life. Lord, I, I've never heard her make any sort of profession of, of faith in you. God, that you would save her soul. Lord, no one is beyond your grace. That you would touch their hearts. That you would turn their hearts. Your word says that the heart of the, the king is in your hand. That you, you turn it, Lord. That you would turn their hearts towards righteousness and, and, and holiness and, and true justice. Lord, for our, our governor, who, Governor Greg Abbott and, and our, our, our local uh, mayor, Lord, that you would work in their lives. God, that you would pour out your spirit. And that we would see your kingdom advance. Your kingdom come. And your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name we pray.